Welcome to Legacy Women's Podcast, where we seek to encourage women in their relationship with God and one another through monthly conversations with the women of Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Well, hello, and thanks for listening. Today, we are having our final book club discussion, and we'll be talking about the book You Who by Rachel Jankovic. And before we launch into the discussion, I want to make a little plug for reading books like the ones we've been discussing in these podcasts. Um, If you've attended our church for very long, you've likely noticed that we have a pretty strong reading culture going. Um, The pastors regularly recommend books and commentaries. Folks occasionally share about how a book affected their life. We have a bookstore in the lobby, and we like to give out books as gifts and prizes. And our pastors are intentional in this because they want us to be reading books that point us to God and His Word and help us understand and apply Scripture well. And I was talking to Jake Simmons about this. He's a pastor who's over a women's ministry, and he said it's important that the books we read draw their wisdom and authority from Scripture and point us to Scripture, and they make us want to read it even more. And that's something I think we've seen in this series as the women have discussed the books they read, uh, that they've been reading. And um, we know that the only perfect book is the Bible, and it needs to be our priority. And even the best Christian books don't get everything right because they're not the inspired Word of God. But I do hope this series has encouraged us to read books that point us to the Word and make us want to dive deeper into it. And I think the book we're going to talk about tonight is a great example of that. So uh, before we do that, can everyone introduce themselves? Christina, we'll start with you. Okay. My name is Christina Jones, and I'm married to Joshua Jones. We have three children, two boys at home, and one daughter with the Lord. I am a stay-at-home mom, and something unique about me is that I formally studied eight languages, but my lifelong love and pursuit is Japanese. That is unique. (laughs) Cool. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, something in common. Yep. But we're going to skip to Shannon. <laughs> um, so I am married to Cap. I have three little girls, um, and my parents also go to our church as well. Um, I teach high school English at our homeschool co-op, um, and I homeschool my own kids. We started kindergarten this year. Hi, I'm Amanda Muirhead. Um, I go to Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm the oldest of three, and I do HR at Y12. And you also speak Japanese. Right? And I speak, speak Japanese, Japanese, too. That's, <laughs> That's crazy. Yes. Very impressive. Got, Paulette and like, I do not. <laughs> nor do I. I, I think we got <laughs> redneck and hillbilly. That's not it. <laughs> All right, Paulette. All right. You. My name is Paulette Clow. I'm married to Arne. Um, I have four sons. Three of them are married. Our baby just graduated high school, started college this year. Um, he's still living at home, so I'm not a total empty nester yet. Um, I, I am a stay at home. Well, I guess mom's still, but homemaker. I get to um, work from home and it says hometown. We've been in Knoxville for 20 years, so I'm going to call that our hometown. We've been at Cornerstone Mm -hmm. about 18 years. Mm. All right. Um, Can you tell us your testimony? I can. Um, I was born and raised in the South. I like to call it the Bible Belt. I was brought up in a Bible-preaching church. The denomination I grew up in emphasized making a public profession of faith in order to identify yourself as being saved from your sins, as being a believer in Jesus. I did this at the age of 11. I do believe I was made alive in Christ at that moment, but I was young, and in the years following into middle school and high school, 
while still attending church regularly, I was not being rooted and grounded in the Word of God. I wasn't learning about my true nature, the sin that remained, and the warfare that I needed to be prepared to fight. Romans 7.15 says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do, not, I do not do what I want, but do the very thing I hate. Verse 21 <clears throat> says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I experienced about a five-year season from high school into college where, this is in quotations from Ephesians 2, 2, and 3, I followed the course of this world, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. I became a liar, a cheat, a deceiver, a drunkard, a fornicator, crude in my behavior. I was proud. I dishonored my parents. I was living for myself and loving the world, and I was seeking satisfaction in it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't seeking God's will for my life. But he was working his will in my life. In God's kindness and mercy, he brought me and my future husband together in college. We dated, we got engaged, but we also engaged in a physical relationship resulting in an unplanned pregnancy. When I was at the doctor's office and found out I was pregnant, the doctor, knowing I was a single college student living out of state, automatically recommended a facility that could, this is a quotations, take care of this little <coughs> inconvenience for me. Oh. I believe that from deep inside me, the Spirit of God empowered me to say no. Even though up until then I had not been living a life pleasing to God, He, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved me, even when I was dead in my trespasses, He made me alive together with Christ. And that's from Ephesians also. Was I saved by grace when I walked down an aisle in a church when I was 11? Or did God rescue me as I sat in a cold examination room facing the consequences of a life lived for myself? It doesn't really matter. The reality is that he did save me, and I've been following the Lord for the last 30 years. Romans 8, 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I was living a life sowing seeds to my flesh, but now... Because of the Spirit of God breathing life into my dead soul, I have life and I have peace. Well, that's great. Very well said. Good job. Um, well, on to the book again. It's called You Who by Rachel Jankovic. And as our resident English teacher, lit teacher, um, Shannon, can you summarize it for us? Yeah. So basically, You Who um, is a critique of existentialism. Um, it's a book-long argument in which she defines what existentialism is, which is a philosophical position that the real meaning in my life is what I make it and that I define myself with the power of my own will. So that's existentialism. But I would say if the philosophical angle bores you or intimidates you, because I don't think that I was necessarily attracted to philosophy, this book is like highly readable for anyone. It's really entertaining even. I flew through it like it was like a novel. Um, so anyway, um, so it's a critique of existentialism um, and it's, uh, it's a, that's a philosophical position. It's created by a man named Jean-Paul Sartre and um, it's at its face value. It is something that Christians would never espouse. We would never believe in that um, and we would never ascribe to it. We would reject it as from the devil because that's kind of what it is. It assumes that there is no God and that we have to create our own meaning. Um, but she uses this great analogy to explain how it reaches us, and that is high fashion. So when we look at the runway shows of the Fashion Week or whatever, I don't know, I don't keep up with that, but they're always wearing these crazy clothes, right? Like 
um, things made out of balloon material and hats made out of, I don't know, meat. I don't know. I think that's a thing. <laughs> but anyway, so they're wearing these crazy things that no one normal <laughs> would ever wear. No one who's not on that runway. But those things actually end up influencing the fashion that comes the year after that. And so even though we would never wear this stuff on the runway, we're wearing stuff influenced by what was on that runway. And so she argues that that's how Christians end up actually ascribing to existential like, quote-unquote, doctrine. Mm -hmm. So, like, we're seeing it on Facebook. We see it in our Disney movies. We see it in every movie. We see it in um, our pep talks, our graduation speeches. Just, it's everywhere. We can't escape it. It's our whole culture. It's kind of what it's based on. So, from there, she kind of exposes, after she talks about existentialism, what it is, she uh, talks about how it's influenced our culture in issues like LGBT stuff, um, abortion stuff, so those really high, big political issues, but down to even, like, personality testing and <laughs> taking those little quizzes online. What house are you in this <coughs> fantasy so series? Um, so even that is influenced. So it's, it's this whole gambit of kind of cultural critique. But then she also shows how it has stolen joy from Christians who have... <laughs> absorbed it and it's very hard not to absorb it so she's basically kind of showing how it has already stolen some of your joy in your life because we've been unaware um just breathing it every day and then finally um and the redeeming awesome aspect of it is that she also shows what god tells us about our identity in christ and that that is far better and more satisfying. And ultimately, that restores us to the joy of our salvation. It's like, this is what we're being saved from. We can't have Christ and self-made person, but we can have Christ, and he makes us the person that we are supposed to be. So, um, very good. That's the... Good. Um, so, uh, I'm just going to ask a few questions, and everyone's going to answer them. So um, I'll start with you, Christina. What most encouraged you from the book as you write? Um, first off, if you hear someone constantly clearing her throat, it's me because I think I'm coming off of mono. So I'm apologizing for that in advance. But <clears throat> um, I have the benefit of having read this book several months ago. So I intentionally didn't review the book because I wanted to give the answers. Ooh, thank you. Cough drops. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wanted to give the answers that have stuck with me. Because, you know, you read a book, you get really excited about it, and then you forget most of it. But um, the thing that has stuck with me the most and encouraged me the most is I don't remember the details of every chapter, but I remember that every single page in that book was about how Jesus is enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's and good. she just, after she explains the philosophy and the ideas and how we've um, ignorantly adopted those ideas, then she starts using chap every single chapter as almost an isolated blog post in a way mm -hmm. about some area of our lives, especially as women, where we um, are tempted to think that, well, yeah, I know that. I know Jesus uh, says he loves me, but um, I'm lonely and I, I wish I could be married and I feel unloved, you know? And then she lovingly but firmly explains to you how mm -hmm. what you've just said is that Jesus isn't enough. Mm -hmm. And here, let me explain to you how he really is, not mm -hmm. just on a theological, philosophical level, um, especially having been in the church for a, a long time now. I had fallen into the trap of when I'm upset 
when I'm suffering, uh, I didn't want to hear the, those pat Christian answers, <laughs> um, because that's how it felt to me. Like, well, you know, Jesus did this, or, you know, the Bible says this. And I would feel like, well, that's helpful, but no, really tell me how I'm going to deal with this problem or please give me real comfort. And, um, she kind of, gives you a slap upside the head and explains, (laughs) no, Jesus really does answer it. And that has been Hmm. so encouraging. And any time in the days since I've read the book where I realize I'm still saying, but God, I'm still unhappy, I realize then that's my problem. I don't understand the gospel enough, Mm -hmm. and I need to go back because I I can have faith that he can make me happy Mm -hmm. today, right now. Mm -hmm. That was great. Um, I'm gonna say my thing, but it's not. Uh, so I feel I felt like the reason existentialism is so enticing to us, even if we wouldn't ascribe to it outright, is that we do want our lives to matter. Mm-hmm. And she's very sympathetic to that and talks about how Christ is enough um, for your like your life can really matter, but only in Him, um, and that's great. But we just tend to seek fulfillment in other ways. And so where I was most encouraged by the book actually is um, in my desire for fulfillment. Um, And then I am, you know, I'm at home with my three girls and they disobey me constantly and they fight constantly and I have to cook three meals a day and I have to change the diapers and, you know, yada, Mm -hmm. yada, yada. But it didn't feel fulfilling. (laughs) And so she has this great chapter. I think Mm -hmm. the chapter is called A New Glory. Mm -hmm. And I just love (laughs) the whole chapter. Um, But she talks about how... Like, making dinner after dinner may not feel like much, but in the hands of God, these small acts of dying to yourself are resurrected. And so she's like, if you're not feeling fulfilled and obeying where you are right now, you're not believing in the power of the resurrection. Because dying to yourself, God raises that, and um, he makes it part of his plan and weaves it into his great purposes for me and for the world. And so, like, my... It was kind of counterintuitive, but me seeking fulfillment actually sucked away all my joy. Mm. But when I just desire to obey where I am um, and be faithful to God right now, where I am, which is cooking dinner or cleaning up or whatever, um, then that's just, that gives me peace and joy and is a beautiful thing. And so like she, she says this one thing where, um, She just says, like, the obedience of contentment and gratitude will not stay small. Mm -hmm. It will not continue on just you and your tiny obedience forever. In the hands of God, it will go through the grave. It will change from you and your little offerings to you and your wild fruit. Mm -hmm. The Christian embraces every small opportunity to small obedience. Why is that? Because we serve the God who makes the small things great. Amen. And so (laughs) as, you know, as people who have, you know, drudgery to deal with every day, that just redeems it and makes it beautiful. So good. Yeah. Amanda? 
Oh, yeah, I like that point. That was a good point, mm-hmm. and that was actually one of mine. So, the <laughs> day... Yeah, no, no. Um, the day that I read that, I was doing an assignment at work, and I was like, I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> and then I went back, and I read it, and it's like, you have to obey God in the small things, and how she says, like, if you're waiting on one big, grand thing to happen in your life, you're not being faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of went back to work, and like, I can have joy in doing this, even mm-hmm. though I I don't see, you know, the long-term effects of it. This is what God's called me to do, and I need to be faithful. Um, And then I appreciated the book because I think all of us, Christians and non-Christians, ask the question, who am I? Mm -hmm. And I think for Christians, at least I can feel pressured to think, okay, I have to define myself apart. You know, like, I'm a Christian, but, you know, what else am I? Because I feel Mm -hmm. kind of boring sometimes. And um, I like how she says... We can't define ourselves, and when we try, oftentimes our answer is insufficient. And the main reason being that because we ourselves are insufficient, Mm -hmm. and I just found that really helpful. Mm -hmm. And then she says, my identity must be bigger than myself in order to satisfy me. Mm -hmm. And then she goes on to say, there's a simple explanation for this struggle, and it is that man was created to be a worshiper. And I just found that helpful, like we were created for the Lord Mm -hmm. and to worship him. Um, and we'll never be able to answer that question apart from Christ, and we don't have to, which I'm grateful for. Um, and then I also liked how she pointed out like the need for self-fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a quote where she says, you know, you can be contending for recognition or advancement or maybe just for um, devoting your life to self-improvement or trying to become the best version of yourself so that you can have the most fulfilling life. Um, and I remember on, I think it's on page 47, I put right beside that, Lord, you know, help me fight this, because I see it, like, in the employees around me, and I also see it in my own heart, like, you know, wanting that, and it's a vicious cycle. You know, you want it, and if you get it a little bit, you want more, or is it going to stay, and it's like, you keep on going around in that, and so she actually answers the solution, she gives the solution, and she says... We work out our salvation. We lay down our own interests and see others as more important. We work to give to others rather than consume others on our way to our new, complete selves. Mm -hmm. In Christianity, the self is always a tool and never a destination. And Mm -hmm. so I appreciated Mm -hmm. that a lot. Yeah. Always a tool and never a destination. All right, Paulette. So mine is a little different take on the question. It's like what most encouraged you from the book. I think the fact that this author, she's a young woman. She's in her early 30s. And if I didn't mention in my intro, I'm a generation above that. I'm 52. And uh, just that she was willing and not afraid to tackle this relevant, important topic that, um, like Shannon was saying, is very um, pervasive. And we can even be not aware how influenced we are. But she wasn't afraid. She addresses it head on, the culture. She dives into the topic of self, self-worth, self-love, believing in yourself, all those things that on the surface, they don't, like, you think, what's wrong with that, you know? Who am I really, you know? What's my purpose? How do I reach my full potential? You know, like you were saying. Um, so I just think she does a really good job tearing down the mask and looking behind the curtain to the roots, like you talked about, the existentialism. She kind of gives that academic foundation, you know, of what this is really, because any philosophy, anything you kind of take into your way of thinking has its roots in something. Mm-hmm. And so it's always good to know, oh, this is really rooted in some nasty stuff, you know, when she starts to break it down. Um, 
So that was really helpful. I was encouraged. She speaks straight to the heart of the believer. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Shannon, simple, um, easy to comprehend ways. And so that in itself, that she would take on this topic, encouraged me. And then also, I think like Christina said, every chapter was filled mm-hmm. with the gospel. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, this is really bad for the Christian, and now the Christian needs to do this really good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. she, she says the answer is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, you'll find your true self. The more you know God, the more you truly know yourself. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, because our life is hidden with Christ. And so just that whole general theme and that she didn't leave us to try to figure it out. She, she presented the gospel very biblically throughout the whole book, which encouraged me. Good. Um, So the next question is, were there any surprises or paradigm shifts in your thinking? It sounds like that answer is already yes. (laughs) But develop that a little more, Christina. We'll just keep going in this circle. So for me, um, I saw a book trailer, which still sounds weird to me. (laughs) I'm adjusting to that. But I saw a book trailer on YouTube for this book and thought, Mm -hmm this girl is smart. (laughs) I want to read this. And I thought it was going to just be more of an academic look at the philosophies and I like stuff like that. So I thought, well, I don't actually personally need this book. I'm just researching, learning about what's going on out there. I mean, I'm too well taught in Cornerstone to have actually fallen for any of these lies, you know? So that was my paradigm that got (laughs) shifted (laughs) Um, because what I realized by maybe chapter three or so the first few philosophies that she covers I'm like no definitely don't believe that Um, but then she talks about and it's connected to existentialism but the idea that we are writing our own story Mm. and I realized oh I actually live like that Mm. Um, and I've always acted and, and I'm very motiv- I'm a very motivated personality, so it's, it's worked for me, but I've always lived like I am the one who is responsible for deciding and then achieving mm-hmm. who I want to be. And I didn't think that contradicted with my Christian faith. I thought that was exactly what I was called to do. Okay, you're a Christian, you're for Christ. Okay, so figure out what honors Christ in your life and go do it. And if you don't, then the master, when he returns, is going to be disappointed in you. And um, mm. and I tend to be kind of a hobby hopper personality. Like, I get re- I very, I'm very art-minded, so I get excited about all kinds of different things. And I think, oh, that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to have that mm. bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. You know, we've probably mentioned this several times, but she talks about the idea of... That's when you think you're writing your own story, then you start treating your life like you're in a car and you're just driving by and slapping bumper stickers on the back. And you want everyone to see these are my bumper stickers. And yeah, Jesus is there, but so is knitting and so is a stay at home mom and so is whatever else. So, you know, yoga fanatic or um, uh, essential oils are going to be back there for a lot of people. Um, So, yeah, realizing. I think it was also a paradigm shift, just linguistically, that when we talk about God as the author of life, Mm. no, really, he is the author of life. Like, I'd always thought of that as, oh, yeah, God created it, like sort of a deistic, he spun the world off, and now we got to figure out what to do with it. Mm. Mm -hmm. But he is the author of all life, so he is actively writing Mm. all of life, and my story is his to choose, Mm. And I just get to obey. 
just simply trust Jesus and obey, which shouldn't be surprised as a Christian. But it clicked that, oh, when Jesus says, my burden is light, mm. it really is light. Mm. Like, I don't have to make myself, I don't have to make myself beautiful. Mm. God's going to do that. If I just obey right now, then it will be taken care of. And then, not to talk too long, but one more thing that also... While you're flipping there, can I add to that real yes, quick? Yes, go for it. Just the, like, ever since reading this book, I've come to realize just how burdensome it is for us to take on that mm. idea of, I need to make myself something. Mm-hmm. Like, and how, fe- like, most people can't. We don't have that kind of yeah. power, but we keep telling ourselves we do. So, like, what an exercise in frustration <laughs> and futility that ends up being. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a burden... And anyway, so I just, I've, I, that's really been apparent to me, I guess, since, yeah. since reading this, but I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing that I st- I started to end my answer there and then I realized, oh wait, no, um, that personality test chapter, <laughs> I don't do personality tests. I can't for the life. I keep asking Shannon, what am I again? <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an, I, I don't know. What am I? You're an ISTJ. ISTJ. See, I don't. <laughs> She knows I don't. So I did not expect that chapter to affect me. But what really (laughs) affected me, and I wanted to read a quote from it. She said, um, I hope this is the right one because I I just found it just now. Far from our personalities being like eye color or something Mm. you were born with and can't do anything about. Mm. Our personalities are something that God gave us so that we would have something to put Mm. on the altar Mm -hmm. and offer to him. So you love quiet time and time to journal? That would be me. Mm -hmm. There is something in your hands that you can give up. So you love being at the heart of the social scene around you? There is something tangible God has given you to lay down. Do you see how this works? We are naturally full of instincts and desires that are contrary to what God wants us doing. That means that those things are something to obey with, Mm. not something to obey around. Mm. And... I don't know my letters, but I do tell Mm -hmm. people all the time, oh, I'm introverted. Mm -hmm. And my husband is extroverted. And so when we first got married, and we'd go to, say, a small group, and it's 9.45, and I'm dying inside <laughs> because I wanted to go home at 8.45, and he refuses to look at the clock, I feel somewhat justified that my husband hasn't really loved me properly mm. because he ought to know I am an introvert. Mm-hmm. And seeing that that is not like saying I have brown hair, but that... Everything I have in my personality is, is, is from God. It's beautiful. It's not something to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. And I have something about my introverted nature reflects Christ in a unique way that my husband doesn't mm-hmm. show on a consistent basis. But it's something to... Anything that I have is something I can willingly put on the altar mm-hmm. for Christ. So God isn't abusing me or misunderstanding me if he calls me to host a lot. And I go, well, but God, don't you understand? You made me an introvert. You made me this way, God. You know, no, I made you that way so that there would be more glory and more joy when you're asked to give it up for a time. So that that also affected me. Yeah. As a side note, I read this book because Christina would not <laughs> shut up about this book. <laughs> Am I allowed to say shut up on this one? <laughs> <laughs> That's an allowable okay. Okay. context. You didn't give me the list. 
Yeah. We can always edit, edit it. Um, so, yeah, one of the paradigm shifts I had, um, I kind of at the beginning of the year, before I read this book, um, I had decided, I've heard that some people do, and I'm not against this per se, but I wasn't doing it with the right heart. I've heard that some people like assign a word to a year and then they like live that whole mm. year for that kind of toward that word. And so my word for this year was discipline. I was going to read all the habit books. I was going to develop better habits of like having devotions and getting up on time and going to bed on time and exercise. That one still hasn't materialized. <laughs> and, um, I was going to do all this stuff and for half the year, I felt like I was spinning my wheels and not getting anywhere. And I was doing all the human efforts toward it that I could, you know, and I was praying for God, change my heart so I can exercise more. <laughs> and I wasn't making any progress whatsoever. And now I see that as a mercy because through this book and a few other books um, that I read right after it that really intersected with it well, um, I realized that I, that was just another... Shannon decides what she's going to be and she's going to make it happen, Mm, which is existentialism. And so I feel like for the first six months of this year, God did answer my prayers, but he did it by like changing my perspective and the reason why I was doing the search for self-discipline. It wasn't anymore just because I want to be a disciplined person Mm -hmm. and I want to be able to slap that bumper sticker on my (laughs) car of my life. Mm -hmm. But now it's with humility and realizing I do not have what this takes, but Jesus is enough and I can do this in obedience to him. And so that was the first paradigm shift. And I actually didn't realize that um, until recently. So when Bethany first sent us the questions, I was like, I don't know. I mean, I loved the book, but, and so I asked Cap and I said, what do you see like Mm -hmm. as a change? And he said, well, I've noticed that you are mothering with far more zeal um, Mm -hmm. than you used to. You're really throwing yourself into it. You're um, like, I worked all summer to be able to buy the homeschool curriculum that I wanted. Um, That's just how it played out in my life. But I just, I hadn't been willing to really research anything or do anything toward that before. Because God made me a certain way, um, something that I need to lay down on the altar. And I don't feel fulfilled necessarily parenting littles. I feel fulfilled teaching high schoolers about British poetry and writing and reading. And, you know, I feel, that's where I feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so when, after I had read um, Rachel's book, I realized that, um, let me, I, I wrote this down in my notes, hold on. So this book helped me see that where God has designed me to love certain things, and that's a good gift from him, like Christina said, he's also called me to this thing where I am right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I know I'm called here because this is where I am. And he doesn't make mistakes in being the author, right? So to accept that and believe in the beauty of obeying in that made it a lot more easy Uh, for me to humble myself um, under difficult days with the kids um, where before I would just want to escape to what I felt fulfilled me more. Um, So I can humble myself under, you know, a hard discipline day or um, one, one example is I've, I've struggled with like really long carpal tunnel since I had my second child 
and it's it's a pain and I seek relief for it. I'm not masochistic and I don't want to like continue in my pain to serve God. <laughs> but I have been able to, instead of just always being frustrated at, oh, my wrist hurts again today, so I won't be able to do this thing I wanted to do. But now it's something that I can lay on the altar, like Christina was saying. And I almost feel like, yes, I have something that I can serve God with today by humbly trusting him through this, mm. where before I would feel like it was in the way of my fulfillment. Now it's kind of a path that God offers me to being fulfilled despite this apparent hindrance. So, yeah. That's good. Okay. Um, so, yes, I think for me, just not striving and wanting to know Christ better, um, not striving at work or even in my life, like to a spiritual standard, like, you know, mm-hmm. you need to get to this or you need to get to that. And at least in the beginning, I was reminded of Paul and how he says, I count everything as loss. You know, I was zealous and um, and all sorts of <clears throat> things, but he counts it as loss for knowing Christ. And I think out of that, pressing forward in that and by the spirit, I'll have room to love people more. And I think this book, it kind of encouraged me in evangelism. Like Mm -hmm. if I see like this same pattern in my coworkers, just being like, okay, Mm -hmm. like pursuing this Mm -hmm. in work is not going to fulfill you. Christ Mm -hmm. will. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was helpful. Um, And then just kind of, as I said earlier, um, learning to obey God in the day-to-day things that we don't graduate beyond today's obedience and I found that really helpful so yeah so for me when you said what paradigm shifts um maybe came about after reading this book there were several things I recognized while reading them oh that was a huge paradigm shift in my life this wasn't the first time I had experienced it reading it I could just attest and go yes I agree Mm -hmm. one of them was um it was after we came to Cornerstone so it was like mid-30s um I had never heard of the chief end of man that came from the Westminster Confession of Faith. You know, just basic, basic. You know, it says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And then she goes on in her book that says, our very purpose is to worship God. Our created purpose as humanity, as nations, as towns, as families, as individuals, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That was so foreign to me. Mm. You know, before I came to Cornerstone, I just thought it was kind of like what y'all said. It's a list of biblical things that as a woman I was going to do to be a godly woman, a godly mother, a godly wife, you know. But I had no idea how to enjoy God. That was just like a huge paradigm shift. Yeah. So I think my journey started, you know, however long ago that was. And so that has totally shifted how I look at everything. Um, you know, just the whole idea of living for the glory of God. You know, every minute, all of them, for His glory. Is this a sufficient answer to our heart's question of who am I, what's my purpose? And she says, I think it is. So that was a huge paradigm shift for me um, that is in this book. Also... I felt like another paradigm shift through my 30s, and it touches on what you were talking about earlier, Shannon, about, you know, you're at home with your children being little now. And so my kids are, you know, I'm pretty much done raising them. What is, is, you know, it's like in concrete now. Sorry, future wife of Johnny. But um, anyway, um, in her chapter, it was chapter 11 that you mentioned um, a new glory. I could relate to those feelings as a young mom of young kids 
that restless feeling. I knew what I was doing by staying. I chose to stay at home, raise my kids. I even chose to homeschool, you know, on the journey. And I knew those were good things and they were pleasing to God, but it never felt like that was my ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like I was just waiting till they were grown for the more important spiritual work that God was going to have for me to do. And so I love, um, I hope I'm, I'm going to flip really, really quick, but it's like on page 100, she talks about, um, you're always in the midst of your own most important spiritual work. Your hands are always full of God's seeds if you'll just plant them. And so that has really helped me in those seasons to be content. And really what the Lord was putting his finger on for me was you are discontent at home. You know, even though yet you say, yes, I want to be home. It's my choice to be home. I was very discontent. And that just started a whole journey for me where the Lord was just revealing my sin and why was all there this restlessness that I was dealing with, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really helpful. That was a paradigm shift. Again, this wasn't this just reminded me of that and, and talking, like you said, about the contentment um, and gratitude. They seem like small things, um, but they're very, very big, important things that God was working in my life during those mm-hmm. years. So you didn't have a book to tell you, so how did <laughs> Well, I had, um, I really think it was the Holy Spirit because um, I was discontent in every area you can think of. You know, I mean, I... There was a season where I didn't like Arn. I didn't like, you know, just a lot of things going on. I was discontent with his job. I was discontent with our place we live. I was discontent with so many things. And and all I was looking at was the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it was really the Holy Spirit through maybe a pastoral message. And he mentioned the word covetousness, mm-hmm. desiring something that you do not have. And then it led to discontent. And then and then it was that was about the time we moved to, to Knoxville. And early on, Bill preached a message, and he mentioned a book by Thomas Watson, The Art of Divine Contentment. I couldn't find the book. I printed it offline, and it's an old um, Puritan language, and it took forever. But, man, it was, like, so biblical and just pierced my heart. You know, these things that I could justify wanting and needing and thinking I deserved was really sinfully discontent in my heart. And so I just think it was just a slow process of the Lord revealing to me, you know, and then he did bring me good books and then he brought me into a good community and, you know, so all that. Thanks for asking. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good rabbit trail to go down. Um, Okay. So are there any particular areas you want to grow in or change uh, after reading the book? Um. I feel like this this book, in in conjunction with what most encouraged me, it challenged me then to submit everything to Jesus. Um, anytime I felt that discontent or um, just being emotional or anything like that. And on the one hand, I felt released to pursue less, um, to stop trying to find bumper stickers and if they fall off, trying to jam them back on. Like, no, this is going to be part of my identity. <laughs> Um, so it was very, very freeing. It was that light burden. Um, but on the other hand, I also felt challenged to see every moment as a high calling to obedience. Mm -hmm. Um, it impacted me when she talked about, I don't remember what chapter anymore, but she mentioned, um, or she kind of walks you through how do the heroes of the faith Mm -hmm. in the history become the heroes Mm -hmm. of the faith? And if you look at their lives, you don't see this point where they're like, normal, 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 Mm. boom! They make this big decision and they do everything for God. They just drop it all and become 
um, the kind of person you want to read about hundreds of years later, that those people have that character and God ends up using them for these amazing stories because what they did was they just obeyed in every single moment mm. and just trusted God, just <clears throat> rested in him and trusted in him. And they weren't seeking to have an extraordinary life. They were just seeking to be faithful mm. with whatever God gave them. And they were just on a ride that God ended up taking them into something that was worth writing about later on. Um, and one of the quotes that um, I felt like tied into that and um, really encouraged me, she said, uh, Far from living a life of waiting and expectation, wondering when our journey of a lifetime is going to start, the Christian life should be one of almost breathless and constant obedience. When we embrace the fact that obedience now is always the calling of a Christian, we find that we have more than enough to do. Read the word. Mm-hmm. Obey the word. That too. Obey it now. Yeah. Do it yeah. again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but and I thought it's it was actually it was humbling mm-hmm. because the the point that she says when we embrace the fact that obedience now is always the calling of a Christian, we find that we have more than enough to do. If we're being really honest with ourselves. And we're standing in the kitchen one day and thinking, God, I just want to do something important or I want to have a special job to do. And you hear that little whisper of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, well, if you obeyed now, what would that be? Well, that would be dishes and laundry. And (laughs) the honest truth is is I do have plenty to do. I just don't want to acknowledge that that's a calling from the Lord, (laughs) you know. But um, I'm going to skip ahead because I know you're going to ask for favorite quotes, but one of the other quotes that I, I like is just the simple sentence, obedience to God always, always beautifies. That's good. And that affected me that... I'm sorry, am I stealing quotes? Oh, <laughs> no, no, but it's... Yeah. Um, just that, that affected me that in that moment when I want God to tell me, Christina, what I want you to do is I want you to go do this interesting thing that I'm really wanting permission mm-hmm. to go off mm-hmm. and run mm-hmm. after. And instead I hear the Holy Spirit say, no, I just want you to um, go have an extra long talk with your son after you discipline him. <laughs> and sp- explain the gospel more, even though you're tired and, and tired of explaining it. Um, that I remember obedience to God always, always beautifies. So it's not even just for my son or even just for the glory of God, but that I can be guaranteed in Scripture that I will become a more beautiful person Mm -hmm. because I will become more like Christ if I will obey in these tiny ways. So I'm trying to keep that in mind. Mm. That's what I want to do to change. I'm going to add to Christina's answer because I'm going to share a story about how I saw her change because she was already really... um, I thought godly and saintly, um, especially after having walked through infant loss and God just being really faithful to her um, and her being faithful as a believer. Um, but when uh, something happened um, shortly after she had read this book where she lost, they had made a little charm of Eliana's, her daughter's um, thumbprint, mm-hmm. was it? Um, kind of engraved that in silver and put it on a bracelet for her, and it was this very precious memento of this daughter that she had lost, and um, she lost it. It was gone. There was no explanation for where it had gone or where it had dropped. We still don't know. It's still lost. She sent out this panicked 
Yeah, it's very small because Eliana she was, was four very pounds, small. so her yeah. thumb is very tiny. So she sent out this panicked group text to our community group saying, "Pray for this to," and I was just like, I felt like I had been punched in the stomach, and I was like crying and reeling mm. from it, and just like, "God, please!" Mm. And of course, they they didn't find it. Um, and so I checked, kind of trembling with fear, with Christina, like did you find it, you know, wanting to know what the answer was. And she was like, you know, no. But thanks to this book, You Who, that I'm trying not to hype too much so that you can <laughs> actually read it, <laughs> yeah. I was able to respond That's cool. with, I think your words were like, I wanted to have ordered emotions and glorify God with the way I responded. So she said, even tonight, we were talking about it. I said, I might tell this story. And she was like, okay. But, <laughs> but she said, even now it's still hard that that's gone. <laughs> but like, that's something that she, because of this book was able to give where any person would be freaking mm-hmm. out. And I know in the past you would have freaked out. I, I, I Right. I, and it was, it was still hard. There were many tears. I mean, that's, that was like the, the memento I have that her, her body touched that. That's yeah. her thumbprint. Um, and I still, even like on a random day, even including today, if I'm walking around in the yard, I'll just look around mm-hmm. like, maybe maybe, maybe God will be really kind and <laughs> I'll just be there. But mm-hmm. it is nice to be able to say that I'm at peace if it never shows up. Like, like that's not my daughter. My daughter's with Jesus mm-hmm. and I'll see her again one day. Mm-hmm. All the rest of this world's going to burn up anyway. Yeah. So. so what I thought when she said that was like, that is beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it reminded me of your yeah. quote, which is why I felt like I had to tell the yeah. story. Um, but that's actually, yeah. So she wouldn't mm-hmm. stop talking about the book, but that's when I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, as far as it's changed me personally, uh, I would say the book exposed how much I rely on my performance and being excellent at things to get worth a feeling of worth. I don't feel like I'm worthy unless I'm really, really good at something. Mm. Um, Ted Tripp, I think in one of his books calls it the idol of virtuosity Mm. or the idol of performance. Um, and I hadn't had that exposed in my life yet. And so what this book has helped me, um, embrace is that Keith and Kristen Getty song, um, where it says the Lord is my salvation. Mm. Like, the Lord is not my accomplice on the road to getting what I want done. He is not my assistant. He is not a worldview. He is my salvation. Mm-hmm. My works cannot save me. Mm-hmm. I cannot prove my worth. Um, in fact, all my efforts to prove my worth are proving my lack of worth. <laughs> and so just like that, that song became kind of like my theme song for several weeks after reading this Um just the Lord is my salvation, my mm-hmm. salvation. I cannot save myself. I cannot prove my worth. I, um, but he's worthy. And it was, it was really freeing and good. That's yeah. good. Um, so I think for me, um, I hate being categorized. And so like, oftentimes mm-hmm. if I take a test, I get put into a category that I don't like. So mm-hmm. like <laughs> Harry Potter, I'll be put in Hufflepuff and I want to be in <laughs> It's a personal thing that I've had to deal with. Um, Sorry. Oftentimes, I'll think of or daydream about like a future self that I want to be. And it's just helpful that I don't have to do that. Um, And so I love how she says on page 121, 
Give away the glory, but keep the joy. Mm. Give away the glory, but keep the purpose and the pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so just being reminded, like, mm. I don't have to have glory. I don't have to be high in my own eyes or other people's eyes, but I have to love Jesus um, Mm -hmm. and want his glory above my own. And so just wanting to direct my thoughts when I tend to drift into daydream mode to wanting to glorify Christ. Um, And then I love on page 148, it kind of goes with that. I'm going to read it. It says, instead of carrying a burden that focuses on knowledge of self, we shift the burden to, no- to knowledge of Christ. He is sufficient. I am not, nor shall I ever be. He is faithful. He is perfect. He is capable. He is enough. And more than all these things together, the sweetest gift of all is that he has given himself to us. And so I really love mm-hmm. that and found it helpful. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay, so you were asking us, what particular areas I want to grow or change in after reading this book. And again, like I said, I'm in my mid-50s, and I get asked quite often, which I found I was surprised by this question now that Johnny has graduated, well, what are you going to do with your life? Like, all of a sudden, I have this new chapter, this new life, Mm. and I'm supposed to reinvent myself. And so I just kind of would think about that, and I thought, well... I think I'm just going to keep doing what I did yesterday. I'm going to get up. You know, I'm going to open God's word. I'm going to read it. I'm going to see what the Lord has for me to do today. I'm going to obey. You know, I'm going to trust God today for the next thing. And so um, I think this helped me in knowing that um, I don't have to come up with a, like, I don't have to go through a midlife crisis and reinvent myself and, you know, have work done on my body or to stay youthful or just what have you. I don't know. Um, I can just keep working on my sin. I can keep loving the Lord, delighting in him, enjoying him, you know, every day. And so um, so I, it's not something I want to change in, but I definitely want to grow in. I want to just continue being a steady plotter in God's word. I want to be a woman that loves God's word. I want to just enjoy Um, fellowship with the Lord, you know, every time I open his word, um, I saw some temptations in here that I still struggle with. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I think it was page 130, 131. I'm not sure what chapter that was, but um, she was talking about, we want little indicators that our lives matter to someone. And then she says, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the son of God, not enough for me? Mm Um, does that not show that I'm valued and loved in an authoritative way? Has he not told me that he knows every hair on my head? He knows me and understands me to such an extent that absolutely nothing in our lives is outside of his knowledge. So I think where that ministered to me is my temptation can still be as I'm doing my things around my home, as I'm trying to bless my husband and my son and my adult children in small ways, I still want that little appreciation or I still want to receive you know, gratitude, or I still want to matter in their lives, especially when you have adult children that are married, and you definitely want them to leave and cleave, right? But at the same time, there's a part of you that still wants to matter, you know, and know that they still want you involved in their world, and I think my kids do a good job of that. Um, But it can be a temptation for me Mm -hmm. to, um, just to be, like you said, get my emotions, get out of check, and so I just, I I liked that reminder. I want to press in in that area, Um, Also, like I said, I just want to continue to grow in the knowledge of God, Um, continue to orient myself around glorifying God, serving through Mm -hmm. daily simple acts of obedience. Um, On 125, she has an 
a quote about obedience in worship that I thought was really profound. She said, through worship we obey him, and through our obedience we worship him. Mm-hmm. And then she said, obey God to be yourself. Worship God to find yourself, which, you know, sounds pretty profound. Um, but I just want to be an imitator of Christ, you know. I don't want to be me. Like, oh, just you be you, girl. It's like, no, I really just want to be more and more like Jesus every day. So um, I think that's how I want to grow in this season. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you all uh, so much for reading the book and sharing so well um, and so eloquently. I'm I'm pretty sure anyone who would listen to this would want to read it and also (laughs) want to read their Bibles, too. So um, this concludes our uh, book club podcast series, and thanks to everyone who listened.